The Mac Observer is Mac Geek App number 157 for Monday, June 23rd, 2008. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. I'm Dave Hamilton. You're our listeners, and he is the valuable John F. Braun. How are you, John? This was take two, by the way. <laughs> of course it was. Uh, how are you, John? Good, good. Good, um, good, good. Uh, yeah, nothing spectacular. You have nothing to I'm, talk about, do you? Um, oh, lots. Well, we, we <laughs> had a nice little pre-show chat about it. We did. It's very late, actually. Eh, no, I'm writing C code these days. Uh, down and dirty C code um, from MathCAD. Oh, so interesting. So, uh, just regular C or C plus plus or Objective C? No, C. Okay, C. you can do anything in C. I, I, of course, you can. It's just not. Uh, you can't be objective about it. I know. Yeah, I, I, I never really explore. I know that's Apple's. I think preferred. Uh, oh yeah. Still, after all these years. Oh um, yeah. Yeah, but no, you know, here's the thing. It's it's very career limiting. If if you focus on Objective C, I think developing for the Mac is about the only large scale platform that you're gonna that you're gonna have any uh, any luck with, right? The, I'll say in theory. I mean, if you're, uh, I mean, I've been developing for many many years, but uh, although I prefer C, I can do Assembler. I actually started an Assembler. I can do Basic. I can do. Java, I can do Pascal. I mean, once you you grok one language, I think it's it's not too tough to grok others. So, uh, but you, you if you I mean if you cannot understand Objective C, then you should be able to grasp C plus plus or Java or C or anything like that. So, uh, I would agree with you to a certain extent on that. Uh, if folks, you make no effort to learn nothing else, then yes, I think that's career limiting. If that's the only language on your resume, then yeah. Folks, have you ever felt like you just waltzed into a, the middle of a conversation? Because that's kind of how I feel right now. Mm -hmm. Huh? So uh, with today's show, we have all kinds of stuff to go through, John. We've got uh, things about startup. We've got, uh, I think, a trick or two for the terminal. Maybe we'll talk about some battery issues, uh, that magical little services menu. Uh, but I wanted to start because with, with something that we ended with last time, one of the last things we talked about was... Robert had written in asking how to get the bandwidth for one of the devices on his network. In his case, of course, it was his Wii. And with an airport router, we talked about very various different ways of doing it. Well, I get home and what's my wife doing after we finish the show? She's online playing Mario Kart on Wii. So to answer the question, because uh, I, I had that MRTG thing running and, and checking the, the bandwidth, it looks like Mario Kart uses uh, about 60 kilobits per second up maybe 85 down or the other way around it it tends to vary but it's it's a very very limited amount of bandwidth so it's not using a whole lot the, yeah you the, know it makes me wonder dave yeah, yeah i mean you you told me that utility that you like to use that's kind of squirrely could there possibly be anything well that's the coolest thing is better. edward wrote in and he, he said he was listening to the podcast and he said he wrote a little tool to measure exactly what we're looking for. Not the Wii specifically. He wrote it uh, to figure out how much bandwidth his Apple TV was using, but it's all the same. And we've got a, a link to it in the show notes. The, the tool is called Airport Flow, and it's at memention.com slash airport flow. We'll put that link in the show notes. Make sure you read the website 
to learn how to configure the device because chances are you do need to launch it and then go into preferences, set your IP address, and you might even have to set the interface number and the website tells you what to set it to depending on what kind of Apple device you have. But uh, but it's cool. Once you once you get it launched, it show, it's got a little graph that kind of runs across and shows you your incoming bandwidth, your outgoing bandwidth, mm-hmm. uh, and it's for your entire network. You're, you're looking at the bandwidth from the base station. So it's a perfectly geeky little tool, sits in a nice little floating window, and uh, uh, absolutely perfect. So thank you, Edward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I found, though, yeah, so I had to kind of mess around with the defaults because I think the default is uh, what most people use, which is 10.0.1.1, I guess, for the... Default router, I tend to use something different, the 172 uh, flavor. Okay. And then I did have to change IF index. I think it defaults to two, and I, I was goofing around. I think one in five on what I have, which is the uh, time capsule, works. And, of right. course, the SNMP password is almost always public, which isn't really much of a password at all. But, um, but yeah, then it, it sprung to life. So, you know, I was sad when it came up, and I think it said no SNMP traffic. Right. Um. But yeah, no, awesome. Very awesome. I like the uh, translucent window and it was pretty much matching what Menumeter saw. Uh, okay. One thing you got to for- keep in mind is that it looks at different interfaces. Initially, I had it set for the Ethernet interface. Yep. And that shows you one view of your traffic, but then the, the other one is the, uh, the wireless interface. And that's a whole different story, of course. Right. So what I do is what we're talking about here is in the, in the router, of course, you've got the, the router internally is chunked up into different, it sees everything as different interfaces. So wireless is one thing and it can report that. The Ethernet switch, which is the three ports on the back, is considered another. What I like to look at is the WAN port, which is the port to the outside, to and from the outside world. So you can see really what your whole network is doing uh, as it pertains to going out uh, and back to the internet. And, uh, and and so you you, you kind of have to monkey around with it. The instructions on on Edward's website there show exactly what you need to type in and how you need to experiment with this stuff. And it's cumulative, right? So in John, in your case, you were the only one using the network. You only had one computer on the network, so it matched, right? Whatever your computer was doing, that's what your network showed. But if you had multiple computers, this airport flow would actually show you the cumulative track of traffic of all of them. Uh, and it's pretty cool. It, it you know like like uh, Edward said for measuring how fast your uh, Apple TV is downloading stuff or your TiVo, if you're doing Amazon unbox or any of those things, it's a, it can be, it can be a handy little tool just to make sure things are working the way you think they're working and that you're getting full wireless throughput, especially because your Apple TV is not really going to tell you what the throughput is. I know our TiVo doesn't tell us what the throughput is, so right. it can be a very handy little tool. Right. I guess the only thing I'd add to uh, close this out is uh, the, of course you have to click on the box. I, I don't know if it's on by default, but there is a, um, in one of the dialogues on, on your uh, base usually is enable SNMP and right. uh, this utility tells you where to go. But uh, from a security standpoint, if you don't need to advertise that, you should probably turn it off just because even traffic flows and stuff may provide someone and certainly do not because I do believe there's an option that will expose SNMP on the WAN port. And unless you want the world to know what your airport is doing, I would say you probably don't want to turn that on. Right. Unless you've got, yeah, some some other layer of protection on your network and your base station isn't talking directly to your cable modem, in which case. Which, which yeah, my case, and I think most cases, for most people it is. So, right. yeah, that, that's, a, that's right. but, but, but I think almost always that is default off because, yeah, that can be. Yeah, you don't want the world to know what you're uh, what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, okay. Uh, our first sponsor for this show is a sponsor that's been with us for a long time. Audio engine at audio engine, They have two different sets of speakers that they sell the a two speakers and the a five speakers. The a five are a, I guess they're what about eight inches tall, maybe eight inches deep and six inches wide. Nice big woofer and a little tweeter in there. Uh, Two separate speakers in both the A2 and the A5. The A2 is size wise, the little brother sound wise, you know, maybe like a slightly smaller twin. They, they really do have good sound. The A5 will fill a bigger room than the A2s will, but they both have great sound. The A5 on the back has a little port that you could hang an Airport Express off of. Uh, Pilot Pete was showing me his Airport Express and. I was telling them, yep, get the A5s, hang the Airport Express off the back, just plug it right into the uh, AC outlet on there, and then you run a little Mini 8 cable from the Airport Express right into your speakers, and you've got a fully remote speaker setup, and you can sync it up with iTunes, and you're good to go. All this is available along with their W1 Magic little USB-powered uh, wireless speaker setup that will totally stay in sync with your computer. All that available at AudioEngineUSA.com. And with that, we'll move on to Pat and see what Pat has to say about, well, we'll see. Hey, John and Dave. This is Pat in Minnesota. Um, question for you. I am wondering if there's um, any startup um, shortcut keys. You know, on Windows, there was... Um, if you hit F2, F3, anything like that, when you start up, it, you know, brings up system screens and stuff like that. Wondering if there's any of them for um, the Mac. I know there's a couple, but I don't really remember them. If you, uh, you know, have a website to list them off or anything like that, that would be terrific. Thank you very much, guys. You do great work. Bye. Cool. So we do. Now, you just... Because they're secret, you can't tell anybody else what we're going to tell you, okay? <laughs> but what you can do is if you use Apple Help, so uh, in this case, Apple Help uh, is right on the mark here. Though actually, Dave and I find some weird behavior. Um, but if you go to Apple Help, now make sure you're in the Finder, go to the Help menu and say Search, and if you say Keyboard Shortcuts. Now, the weird thing that Dave and I found is that we got different results depending on if you're on a desktop or a portable. I'm still not quite sure. But in any case, if you go after you look for that, say show all results, you will then get a listing shortcuts for starting up. And if you click on that, voila. And and from what I can tell, this is a fairly new, though not totally new, um, uh, list here. And, and I think we'll go into that a little bit later. But it, it tells you a lot of the things, start up from CD, start up from default netboot. I think some of the things that... Um, that came out that, that I did not know about. And I don't think even you knew about Dave. You're, you're, was, more, the, um, you're more the shortcut guy than I am. So <laughs> chances are if, if, uh, if you didn't know about it, I didn't know about it. <laughs> so, um, so they had one here, prevent automatic login. I guess a lot of times the default install of OS 10 will automatically uh, blow you into the OS and not ask for a password or anything. So they have one thing here. Um, I guess hold down the left shift key, left shift key. After you see the little spinning gear thing. Um, I think another was prevent login items and finder windows from opening when logging in. Uh, but, well, we'll post a link to it. But it's, it's both through Apple Help and on the Apple website. Um, and then they have another one, uh, which I think we've had to use in the past, Dave, called safe mode. Kind of like a Windows safe mode. Um, 
And here you got to be kind of careful. You got to hold down the shift key immediately after the startup tone and release when you see the progress indicator, the little spinny guy. But I guess safe mode is equivalent to what they have on Windows, where I guess it doesn't load a lot of drivers and extraneous things and is, is, is usually used for debugging, a, you know, short of, I guess, the other way I would, you know, if I needed to do that, creating a new user would, would be the equivalent. But I guess sometimes in safe mode, uh, that can help identify problems that are on software that you added to the system because it really runs a minimal uh, installation. So that's what I got to say about the startup keys, Dave. Anything to, uh, to add? Uh, one of my favorite ones, of course, is command S to go to single user mode. We talk about that a lot uh, for troubleshooting. Really, though, that's the, you know, I would try, obviously, booting first. If booting doesn't work, try the safe mode boot. Uh, and it, it's worth familiarizing yourself with this list and perhaps even printing it and saving it somewhere, because when you need it, you may not be able to get far enough logged into your Mac <laughs> to pull it up. So if if, uh, if you're not someone to memorize these things, print it out, tuck it in a drawer somewhere. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to the knowledge base article on on Apple dot com and, uh, and and just have it handy because. It, it it is handy and like i said you'll it's the kind of thing that you need when you can't get it so that's uh that's my thought on that all right jim has an interesting question i often use both the terminal and the gui environments for a task the open command is great it allows me to move from the command line to the finder what i don't have is a way to move from the finder to the command line i'm forever renavigating through the directory tree by typing I would love to be able to right-click on a directory in the Finder and choose Open in Terminal. Any thoughts? Well, I spend a lot of time in the Terminal, and I don't know of any way of doing this. Uh, it would be handy. Maybe there's a maybe there's a not a folder action. Maybe maybe there's a way to do it with an Apple script. Um, I guess there there would be a way to do it with it with an Apple script, right? Uh, potentially, but what I do is. If you open up a terminal window and let's say you want to change directory to a folder that you've got visible in the finder. Well, you type CD in the terminal, just like you normally would, and then a space and then go to the finder and drag that folder. Just grab the folder and drag it down to the terminal. What will happen instantly is the path to that folder will automatically type out and you can just hit enter and it brings you right there. So saves you a little bit of typing certainly saves you from making any mistakes. One other thing that's worth noting, though, is I'm pretty sure, and I'm pretty sure this is in the default uh, bash terminal on OS 10. As you start typing folder or file names, if let's say you're going to the users folder, well, you can type CD space slash shift U S and then tab and it'll auto complete the rest of that that name up until the next part. Uh, so you'd get yes. users slash and then you could type, you know, Dave, D-A and then tab and boom, it'll, f it'll fill in Dave. And then I could type shift L-I for library and tab and boom, it'll fill in library. So it's a little more manual than dragging, but your hands don't leave the keyboard. And if you kind of know where you want to go and you don't have that window open in the uh, in the finder, that's another way to get there. So that's uh, that's kind of how I live through the terminal all day long. And perhaps that helps yeah. Jim here. Yeah, I'm with you. And actually, I think Windows has similar functionality. If you drag something from the GUI over to a command line, it'll populate it. Hmm. Um, and also the command completion thing, I think, is, uh, yeah, is also a part of uh, most flavors of uh, recent Windows. Oh, is it really? Which is nice. You just got to make sure to type enough of something to make it unique. Sometimes right. that's, uh, that's right. a challenge. You may only type. Sometimes the guess is wrong. 
or yes. doesn't guess at all. It just sits there. Yes. Uh, uh, Pilot Pete is asking, why, why don't you just ask Pete? Pete's got a, Pete's got a related question. He's trying to write it to me here and I can't read it fast enough to make it smooth. So yeah, just wondering if you can go ahead and, and tab more than one time. If you've got folders that start two folders that start with LI for some reason, can you tab a second time and will it cycle down to the next folder? Oh, that's an, that's a good question. No. So what'll happen, uh, and this is true of most flavors of Unix, is when you type, if you type li, and let's say you have a folder called library and also, fo also a folder called list, okay. you, you'll get a listing of those two folders, of everything that matches. And then you have to type enough to, to make it unique, and then it will, it will uh, complete. But it, it, you said typing tab twice. Let's say, um, and the users folder is the wrong place to do it. So let's say I have... Uh, one folder and all it contains is another folder. I've got a folder called test. And then inside that, I've got a folder called uh, documents. So if I type TE to get to test and I hit tab and then I hit tab again, if documents is the only folder inside test, it will automatically fill the whole thing. I don't have to type the D to, to start that. Oh, slick. That's yeah. Nice. Yeah. So that's a, uh, uh, that's a good question though. Thanks Pete. Time to move on to Richard, John. Richard. Richard. He writes, Hi, John and Dave. I've got a headless G4Q running a proxy server in my closet, and I'd like to be able to automatically reboot once a week at a scheduled time so it doesn't memory leak or lock up in general after too much time. Is there a quick and easy way to have it do that under Tiger or through a third-party utility? Sincerely, Richard. And I think the answer is kind of. <laughs> well, well, we have a number of facets to this. So number one, so he said tiger yes right yes he did okay. and thank you anytime you call in or write in please if you if, let us know as much as you can and, and this actually made a difference in this case absolutely because i looked up on on both of my machine my home machines which are um leopard and i went because i know at least in a, a lot of versions of the os if you go to energy saver Though here it's kind of weird. So Energy Saver, in either um, Tiger or Leopard, if you go, there will be a schedule button under the Sleep tab. So you want to make sure you're on the Sleep tab. I don't know if it's available. On you. No, actually, it's on it's both in tabs. Both. So yeah. it's always there on the lower right. You click on Schedule. Now, on Tiger, it would always have a Startup or Wake selection. Then there's also another selection with another checkbox. And on tiger it only had sleep and shutdown right on leopard they also had restart and you and i both verified this dave yes yep yeah i tried okay. i have the g3 uh, machine that runs tiger as the kind of the filemaker server downstairs and sure enough it's only got the uh the, the sleep and shutdown there's no okay. restart so we have verified that restart is only available on leopard now of course so one thing well, there are a number of tangents here, but I guess the first one is that, yeah, so if you, you don't have to do a restart, you could do a shutdown and then a startup. Hmm. Yeah, you could. Okay. So, so it's through the GUI. Okay. I'm, I'm going to say, because I know there's probably better or, or cooler ways of doing this, but through the GUI itself, you can do this. So shut down at some frequency and start up five minutes later or something. That's essentially uh, almost a, a restart. Yeah, I, um, I will chime in, though, and then I know you've got something else to go on, but mm -hmm. it's important to give your computer enough time to shut down, because if you set yes. a shutdown for, I'm going to say, 11.57 p.m., 
and then a startup for 11.58 p.m. Well, if that computer takes two minutes to shut down, hmm. it ain't going to start up for another 23 hours, 59 minutes, and 59 seconds. That's bad. So make sure you do that. Uh, okay. And So there you go. Good follow-up because, yeah, I, I suggest that I think five minutes. Yeah, So yeah, exactly. And, and actually, yeah, I mean, startup and shutdown, depending on what your machine's doing, um, could take a lot longer than you think. So, yeah, leave, definitely, you know, do a test um, situation there. Um, you know, manually doing it and count the amount of time. Get out your stopwatch and just uh, see how long it takes so you don't get uh, surprised here. Um so yeah, it was kind of weird. Now the Apple help doesn't seem to be updated yet, at least the online or built into the OS to reflect the fact that you can do a restart in leopard in leopard. Yes. Yeah. So it has the docs that match tiger, which can't do a restart. So to me, it's just kind of weird that they can do it in one or the other. I mean, I don't think there's any, and it was probably one of the things where they just maybe had to debug it or something. And they decided, okay, now is the time to slip in this. Uh, maybe it's one of the extra features in the, you know, That's 300 right. <laughs> features list. One of the, one actually we'll have to look. Yeah, it could be an energy saver. You can now do a restart. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I don't think the services under the hood have changed at all. I think it's just, they added something to the GUI. Right. I, I mean, clearly. So, yeah. So Dave, you followed up. So, uh, so I'm talking strictly through the UI now, Dave, right. you, you're, you're more the uh, command line jockey. So I, I think, you know, some, uh, you have some suggestions that kind of delve into that world versus straight GUI negotiation of this whole restart deal. Yeah, I do. You know, I spend a lot of time in, running on FreeBSD and Linux machines. So my, my first gut thought is well use cron and cron is this little engine that runs in the background and uh runs tasks at certain times and you configure these uh jobs in a certain way and then bam when that time rolls around the task gets run as whatever user you've set it to run as so they hide in the background then so you say okay do this at this point in time like you know yep every yep. x hours or something and then it just sits there in the background until it's time to act you got it. And you can set month, date, time. And you and like you said, you could even set it to run every hour or every two hours or every 17 minutes or whatever you want. Right. So uh, but cron was deprecated, uh, meaning Apple kind of decided it wasn't the best thing to use anymore when they introduced a service called Launch D. And that started in Tiger. So with Tiger and Leopard, though, you can use cron. It's not recommended. And in some cases, it may or may not run. So you want to edit launch D, which is done with a series of plist files and can get very, very uh, complex, especially if you've never done anything like this before. I guess the same could be said for cron, although it's a whole lot easier to learn. Using a utility like Lingon, though, and if you're going to download Lingon, we'll put a link in the, in the show notes. It's at lingon.sourceforge.net. Make sure you download the version that is specific to your OS. There is an older version still available for Tiger. Don't download the latest if you're running on Tiger. And then in Lingon, you can set different tasks to run at different times. And with this, I would just set a task from the command line. You can restart the machine. The nicest way I know to restart the machine from the command line is by using a command called shutdown. Yes, there is a command called reboot. It's a lot less friendly than the shutdown command. So... <laughs> Use and the command is shutdown space dash r space now n o w and that's all lowercase and what it's telling you is or what it's telling the machine is shut down but do a reboot now and it gives you the time so 
Uh, and then you can set Lingon to have that happen at a specific time. So, so that's how I would get it done. Now, if you hear some creaking and, 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 uh, and clacking around in the background here, it's because I'm setting up my soapbox, John. Uh, I what? need to ask why. Richard asked to do this, right? He asked how to do it. We've told uh, Richard a couple of different ways of, of rebooting the machine. But I have to ask, why would you want to reboot a machine unattended on a regular basis? Yes, I realize there can be things with memory leaks, but if you're not running any new apps on the machine and if you're running a proxy server, my guess is you're running something pretty bulletproof. It's probably not going to spit out and and just, you know, take over all your RAM. I, I, I am very, uh, very hesitant to reboot any machine that's on for any length of time and especially not unattended. Uh, certainly, you'd want to mm. test it before you do this. But even still, I, I just... I don't recommend it. You know, how, how often do you really think it needs to reboot? And if you think, well, maybe once a month, well, then you know what? On a Sunday afternoon, reboot it. And, and, and that way you're there if anything goes wrong. I, I just, having managed I, I Linux think. machines, and I know you want to chime in here, John, and, and I'm, I'm going to finish this last thought and then you go. Having managed Linux and FreeBSD machines that, you know, run all our servers and all that for years, reboots scare the life out of me. And the thought of doing one without anyone being there to watch it or at least aware of it is is even scarier. So go ahead, John. So, um, yeah, you bring up a good point. Now, I think maybe I'm going to suspect, now this isn't all good fun here, but I think Richard may have too many Windows friends. Could be. And expects that this is normal because I think we, you and I both, Dave, have suggested, and and especially like I have, uh, I manage a Windows 2000 server machine at work, and okay. I like to reboot it every now and then. Yeah, even though they're still actively releasing security updates and all that for Windows 2000 server, you know. Um, right. On the one hand, I I would agree with you. Now, uh, some you know uh, suggestions though is that yeah, I've seen a lot of times, and 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 I think you you echoed this. Sometimes the machine doesn't shut down nicely. Some process just doesn't know how to close down elegantly and uh, and and holds the whole thing up. So in case you know, if somebody puts up puts up a dialog box, which expects a human to say yes or no or whatever, then it's never going to happen. So so uh, I mentioned it before. I mentioned it again. You want to do a test run. Um, the other is that yeah. Uh, another tangent here was uh, the the reboot command. You were talking about shutdown, and I think reboot is the steamroller of Unix commands. <laughs> yeah, it pretty much is. And the reboot says, "Okay, everybody, you're gonna shut down because I'm I'm done." And uh, even the uh, a little little geek humor here is that actually the man page for it says, "Normally, the shutdown utility, or I think they're referring to reboot, is used when the system needs to be halted or restarted, giving users advance warning of their impending doom." Yes. Um, which I think basically says it's an unfriendly way of uh, doing it. But if you need to do it, you need to do it. I think the hardware button is the absolute last resort. I hate having to resort to that with any machine. Yeah. Whether it be a PC or a Mac. I mean, holding down the hardware button, I think, is pretty much a standard for saying, okay, I give up. I can't figure this out. <laughs> Shut oh, down, please. If my, if uh, I know I said this during the, the, the pre-show chatter we do here, but it's probably worth saying again, that shutdown space dash R space now command I issue that if my machine, when I'm on my local network here, I enable remote login, which means I can use SSH to get a terminal connection to my computer from another computer. Now, when I travel, I make sure to turn that off. But when I'm on my when I'm home, I, I leave that on. 
And the handy thing about it is if my machine locks up, which, you know, happens every now and again, instead of just mm-hmm. holding down the power button and like you said, letting it just crater down, uh, I go, I find another Mac and I go to that Mac and I SSH over to my, to my, you know, to whatever machine is locked up. And oftentimes, even if I can't get the GUI to respond, I can get the terminal to respond and I can type that shutdown command. And it usually takes a little while because there's some things that need to be, you know, kind of massaged on the way down. Yeah. And stuff like that, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Virtual memory needs to spool out, but it comes around and at least I feel like it's restarted somewhat safely. Uh, Mm. I feel better than just, you know, hitting the button and yeah. Leaving caution to the wind. I mean, so. of course, we have the journaled file system, which uh, supposedly guards against, uh, mm-hmm. you know, big catastrophes. But Richard, please. Uh, no, we want to know, I think, is uh, what, uh, you know, what brought you to believe that doing this would, would be helpful? Yeah, yeah. If you're and having... Respectfully. Um, yeah. You know, again, it could be Windows friends, in which case, you know, you got to find new friends or... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's fine. All right. Well, uh, we'll, t- we'll tell you about our second sponsor for this show, and it is Audible, uh, available if you go to audiblepodcast.com slash MacGeekGab, you're able to get a free download and a two-week free trial to Audible Listener Gold. And uh, uh, Pilot Pete is actually a regular Audible customer, a longtime Audible customer, and uh, you, you, got, uh, you can tell them about something here, Pete. Yeah, I've been, uh, I've been with Audible a little over two years now, and I absolutely love the service. Uh, and it's great they're going out to your audience, because clearly these people already listen to uh, uh, spoken word content on their uh, iPods and MP3 players. The cool thing about Audible is uh, they aren't just books. Um, I particularly enjoy the Wall Street Journal every mm-hmm. day, six, oh, great, six days a week. And uh, it, it's a great uh, synopsis of the, uh, of the paper, about 50 minutes a day. It's just not that, though. It's the New York Times. Uh, several other publications are available in there in subscription format, which you get a subscription in addition to your book credit for the month. When you when you are an Audible Gold listener, um, and uh, the other the other cool thing is there is uh, some free content on there. Whether it's confirmation hearings of uh, judicial nominees, inauguration speeches back as far as they're recorded, um, uh, tens of thousands of nonfiction and fiction books, and that kind of stuff. And one of my other favorites uh, has been, however, uh, some of the classics that I was never able to get through without becoming cross-eyed uh, when I was either in high school or college. And, it, and an example comes to mind is. Mark Twain's a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. Trying to read some of that old English just drove me nuts. And being able to listen to that, I was able to get through the entire book in a matter of a few days. And it, it was a lot of fun to actually listen to that and be entertained by it instead of trying to struggle through it and reading it going, oh, wait, whoa, how's that supposed to sound? But it, it, it makes it much more fun. Uh, but, but again, particularly for commuters, love the Wall Street Journal every day. So uh, cor- correct me if I'm wrong, but you, when you've subscribed to Audible, you get one periodical free as part of your subscription. And so you, that could be the Wall Street Journal or at right. least. Okay. Right. So for, uh, if you go to audiblepodcast.com slash MacGeekGab, you can sign up for two weeks free and that would be two weeks free of the journal. Plus you could download a free book, which could be Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court. After that, I think it's fourteen ninety nine a month. That sounds right, and I think maybe one forty nine for the year. And I think they throw in a baker's dozen and give you an extra book credit 
uh, if you do the uh, the annual subscription. And there you go. So the two-week free trial, you do have to put in your credit card, but anything that you get, if you cancel before the two weeks is up, you don't get charged and you get to keep everything that you've downloaded. Thanks, Pete. And thanks, Audible. Again, that's audiblepodcast.com slash MacGeekGab. And with that, we'll talk to Jerry. Hey, guys. This is Jerry in Santa Monica. First off, thanks for a great show. Really, really love listening to it. Uh, quick question. What's the deal? with the services menu. Every time I go to uh, select an option in the services menu, they're always grayed out. And I've tried time to time several permutations and nothing seems to ever be available there. Uh, how do you get the services menu to uh, come back and be alive? Thanks. Bye. Well, it sounds like Jerry hmm. was uh, involved in a service of his own or driving or something. But I think it was on a on a corner or something. But yeah, I've noticed that too. I checked it out. It, it seems to be broken, Dave. I mean, there's really everything's all grayed out, man. I don't know why it's there. I, I think Apple should have named it the text services menu, or at least the content services. You have to, in my experience, you have to highlight something, and then suddenly the services menu comes to life. Now the services menu has been in OS 10, I think, since its inception, uh, certainly for a very long time, but it goes uh, often missed. If you go up to the application menu, so that would be the one named after the application that you're in, you'll see about halfway down the menu, usually right above the hide uh, functionality, you'll see services. And there's a submenu there that depending on what apps you have installed on your computer will have all kinds of things. Now, you know, I've got uh, the first thing in mind is BB Edit. Now, if I've got uh, a piece of text selected, I have the option of opening a new window in BB Edit with that selection. That's pretty handy. Uh, I can also open a file if I've highlighted a path to a file name. The script editor, if you highlight a piece of AppleScript code, say somebody sends you some AppleScript in an email, you can actually run that AppleScript right out of there. It's 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 pretty cool the way uh, the way this all works. And, uh, uh, no, it's not I cool. Disagree with you. <laughs> it's not cool. To me, it's a dumping ground for stuff that people couldn't figure out where the heck else to put it. Mm -mm. I look at services menu and I see it's just a hodgepodge of all sorts of stuff here, and it just doesn't make sense to me. So Th that's only because you haven't used it. I, you know, being true in, because being in nothing has really said. Hey, you want to go to services? And, you know, looking at the list of things in here, it does seem like kind of a random assembly of things. So I don't know. I think it could be just just a, you know, it could be organized a little better. Well, yeah. OK, it's organized by either application or service name. Um, Pilot Pete's pointing out that one of the cool services is the summarize service, which when used in Safari, hmm. if you're looking at big, long news articles, can actually be a very cool thing. It 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 uses a little bit of I don't want to say fuzzy logic, but it sure seems like fuzzy logic to kind of huh. cram down the article and uh, and and summarize that text. So okay, right. I, and I use um, it with BB Edit. Uh, not, I, I'm not going to say all the time, but probably six or seven times a year, I'll think, oh, I want to put this in BB Edit, or if I want to put it in Yojimbo, and boom, it just pulls it right in. So. Okay, and not to be a total rant machine, yeah. but but I would prefer so so I'm not just saying I don't like what's in there, but yeah. I think a contextual menu may be a better place to put some of that stuff. I I'm, I much prefer contextual menus that tune in on all right, you're clicking on an app of this type, so I'm gonna let you do this cool additional stuff here. Or a control click for Yep. Um 
So that's just me. It, no. it just seems to be a kind of, you know, something they really don't talk about. And it, it's kind of a random, you know, seemingly random assembly of things that I really don't see a lot of people point out as, oh, go to the services menu, right. do this or that. So. No, it is. Most people don't even know it's there. And even those of us that know it's there, like you said, I, pr- I probably use it less than 10 times a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's probably frequent use uh, in the in the realm of Mac users. And I agree with you, John. I would love to see it as a contextual menu. But every time I think about adding things to those contextual menus, I think back to OS 9 when people would mm-hmm. add that that stuff to contextual menus. And then every time I'd try to do something, my machine would crash. So, uh, so, you know, I, I, I have, well, I have mixed well, feelings. Well, running OS nine would make your machine crash. I mean, it was more, no, still we more won't stable be that than harsh. Windows. No, it was, it, yes. If you, uh, yeah, if you were careful, it was uh, quite stable. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, so we have an email here from oh, poor Robert. Should we do Robert, the email or Robert, the audio comment, John? We could do, we'll do both. Do we have time to do both? Sure, we no, do. No, the, uh, no, I like okay. the email first. Okay, so Robert writes in, does anyone know of a utility to repair or test a rechargeable battery? The battery on my MacBook Pro won't take a charge. When the Mac is plugged in, it's as if the Mac doesn't even see the battery. No power cable color change, no green lights flashing on the battery. After closer examination, the Mac does not see the battery all the at battery at all. The menu bar icon reports no batteries available. I zapped the PRAN, reset the PMU, ran everything I could in Onyx, ran Tech Tool, Apple Diagnosis, and the Mac still doesn't see the battery. The Mac was working fine, but I left it on in lid closed sleep mode and unplugged for a month. Ever since then, no battery. And FYI, I tried your favorite coconut battery, and it keeps crashing at startup. What to do? Hmm. Okay, I'll take a stab here. So, Ferks, uh, I also like X Battery is one okay. of my favorites. Yep. <clears throat> um, so, one, um, I feel bad here, uh, but Apple has a long-term storage recommendation, and actually, this is some detail that we didn't read about. But um, apparently, Robert had stored this, uh, or I think you did, you touched on some of it, but he had stored it in sleep mode for a little bit. So, Apple's recommendation is for long-term storage. Um, though it doesn't reach the amount of time Robert talked about, but they say if you don't plan on using your notebook for more than six months, and I would say that probably should be shorter, Apple recommends that you remove and store the battery with a 50% charge. If you store the battery when it is fully discharged, it could fall into a deep discharge state, which renders it incapable of holding a charge. Blah, 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 the rest of the article. Now, on the one hand, I don't know. So, so I think that's just good advice to share with the listeners. If you're going to have a machine that's sitting around for a while, then don't leave the battery plugged in. I mean, I, I've seen enough electronics with batteries that went kablooey to, to know. That's probably a bad thing. So take the battery out as they recommend, but leave it with a 50, 50% charge. Because uh, on the one hand, I'm suspect, I don't know. I think it's a long shot that his battery is in a deep discharge, Dave. I'm going to guess the battery's just shot. Because, I mean, if it shows up to nothing, yeah. I mean, if he runs... Uh, I don't know if the Apple uh, hardware test or system diagnostics will look for battery state, but if he doesn't see it in a utility, I would say the best would be uh, the system profiler. If he doesn't see anything under battery, then that battery has problems beyond being totally dead. Because I would think at that point, at least it would show up saying, hi, I'm here and I have nothing. (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, it sounds like the battery's dead, especially since he doesn't get any lights on it. Now, it's possible, yeah. highly unlikely, given the, the, the information that we have, highly unlikely, but possible that it's the computer and the computer will no longer charge any battery. So it would be helpful to either try another battery in that machine or try that battery in another machine. But I think we're 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 at ninety nine point five percent chance that the battery itself is just shot. The oh, one I, potential saving grace, mm-hmm. if you got Apple Care, Robert, they'll probably swap it out for you. Or the other thing, and I think uh, uh, Pete mentioned this before, there may be a return for every now and then. Apple, and then not just Apple, but the industry itself has little problems with, you know battery manufacturers making batteries that either die or, you know, uh, <laughs> burst into flames. Um, so you may want to see if uh, Apple has a program for your battery. That would be wonderful. I, I've had a couple, Dave, I think you have too, yep. where even though I thought the battery was okay, they wanted to take it away and give me a brand new one, which uh, yep. was good. It so um, I, I guess another thing is that I, I noticed this also in the, uh, the notes here uh, from Apple is that I guess you, you want to be careful about the temperature you store your batteries. And apparently if you start going over 90 degrees Fahrenheit in a constant uh, state, that may not be good for batteries. I don't know if anybody lives in that sort of environment uh, constantly, but um, they, they warn against that as well. It uh, could shorten your uh, battery life. That's not uncommon for, you know, somebody living in a hot climate, driving their laptop around. Or could. like the show we're going to soon, right? August yeah. in Vegas. Oh, August in goodness. Vegas. I think it may be 90 degrees plus. During the day. I think at night it'll cool <laughs> off quite a bit, right? It's a desert there, so yep. it, it should it should drop significantly. But that's, yeah, that's New Media Expo in August in Vegas. And uh, Backbeat Media is actually sponsoring the Coverville 500 which will be the 500th episode of Coverville. It's a live party happening the Friday night of the show. Uh, and, uh, and so, oh, I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that should be, uh, that should be a lot of fun. Yeah. Can you get me a ticket? I can, I can o- only because we're, we're sponsoring the party though. So, <laughs> and, uh, and we love Coverville. That's, that's, that's a, it's a fun yeah. show. So they're good. They're, they're part of the network, right? Absolutely. A part of the back, backbeat media podcast network. And, you know, speaking of networks, yeah, we've got a lot of networks, uh, and and there are some networks that let you get in touch with us, Dave. That's like right. Believe so. I uh, I think we we'll, we can call it two networks that will allow you to get in touch with us. Although one is layered on another, so maybe maybe three. The first would be the telephone. You've heard all these comments coming in, some of the audio comments, certainly the the email comments. If you want to send your own comment in, a question, a tip, say hi. Uh, the phone number two zero six 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 geek, which John is. Oh, 4335. And hey, especially if you got a new mic or a new audio setup. Yeah. Because yeah, some of you sound marvelous. Yeah. Skype it in to Mac Geek Gab or either record an audio comment or type an email and send it to us at feedback at MacGeekGab.com. So, and I think that's, I think Robert, uh, another Robert, a different Robert, I think he called in and let's listen to what he had to say. Hi, John and Dave. How are you? This is Robert in Newark, Delaware, long-time listener, uh, and uh, looking for a little bit of help. Um, I uh, purchased a MacBook Pro, a recent convert, <laughs> um, back in February, and it's a, the 2.5 with 250 gig uh, hard drive, etc. cetera. Uh, got it loaded with iWork uh, and uh, a variety of other software. And... Uh, 
had a, a, a problem with it from the very beginning. In terms of running, it runs fine. It shut down. It shuts down fine. Um, the only problem is intermittently I have problems where the computer will not restart. Uh, the computer sort of hangs. I get a dark screen. The computer is definitely still on, um, but it, uh, it it just hangs there. It doesn't matter if it's during an update or, or, or anything else. Uh, I brought it into Apple Care. I did put third-party RAM. I do have um, not Corsair. Uh, yeah, no, I, I believe it's the Corsair. I put in four gigs of RAM. Um, first time I brought it into Apple, they said it, it is the third-party RAM. I put in the original Apple two gigs of RAM. Uh, it still continued to have a problem. So I brought it back in. Uh, they ran their uh, diagnostic uh, tests, et cetera. Um, they wound up replacing the logic board on the machine because they were able to reproduce the problem. Um, uh, they did not do an archive and reinstall. Um, so I, I brought the machine back in because it initially it appeared to have been fixed, uh, but it, it continued to have problems. And sometimes, it, especially, uh, I can be fairly sure the longer I've left the computer on and just put it to sleep in between uses, uh, the more likely it will not restart properly. Um, well, I brought it back to the store again. They recommended doing an archive and reinstall, or more preferably a clean uh, reinstall of Leopard, which we all know is, is a big pain in the butt to do. Uh, but uh, I did do an archive reinstall. That did not fix the problem. And uh, his recommendation at this point would be to reinstall Leopard with a clean install. Didn't know if you think that that is necessary or if this is a hardware issue. Again, you know. All right. Uh, I think we've got the uh, the gist there. So I don't think it's a hardware issue. I think we've got uh, a software issue because we've replaced the, the MLB, the, the main logic board already. The chances that you have two bad MLBs uh, in a row, mm -hmm. hmm, maybe not. Now, could be RAM. So in that case, yes, it is hardware, but... I'm going to go ahead and, and, and think that if they if they had the MLB and they tested the RAM, probably not RAM. I, I would say it's it's a software issue. And, you know, my my advice is don't be afraid. I spent years being petrified of the manual reload, if you will, John, you know, of, of, of Leopard. And I find, as you know, I finally did it when I got my new MacBook Pro. I wanted a clean install on there. I didn't want to just do migration assistant. And you know what, man, it took me less than a day and I was at 90% of where I was the day before in terms of restoring functionality and documents. I didn't have half the apps on it that I did on my prior machine and I still don't, which is a good indication of why I wanted to do that. But, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, Robert, don't, don't be afraid of that leopard clean install, find a, you know, maybe a free evening isn't quite enough time, but certainly two evenings or a weekend day, and you could probably get this done and and be certain of the outcome, uh, or at least certain that you're ruling this out. You're going to keep going nuts with this. Uh, Apple's going to keep you going nuts with this until you do that clean install and test this problem. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, it's time to fish or cut bait and, and just go ahead and fish. It's just not that big of a deal. Well, the only thing I would say is that a lot of times, and I found this with my recent uh, reinstall on my XP machine for work, if you don't have all your disks for all your stuff, 
then what you're saying can be a pain in the neck. Yeah. Yep. That's true. A lot of times you may, and not to say that, you know, whoever is wanting to do this is, is, you know, has all the software from, from, you know, terrible sources. Sure. But anyways, I mean, sometimes you may download, uh, you know, do a software download, you don't have the receipt or the activation code. So, so I guess what I'm suggesting is that, and, and, and I try to do this as much as possible is, you know, if you buy it online and they have an activation key or activation code, put it in a certain folder in your mail, or if it's a disk, you know, try to make a backup of the disk, uh, you know, just for good reasons to back up because media does fade and uh, and and stop working. But but that is, that is the only hesitation I would have about what you're saying, Dave. Is that it, yeah, installing the OS itself is certainly yep easy, but picking up all the pieces of your life and your applications and your data and stuff like that. That can require some, I think, detail planning, as you hinted, that it may not happen in a day. So, you know, Time Machine is wonderful. Keeping, you know, or making copies of your of your software or just keeping, uh, try to have a plan for when you download something or you buy something to put it somewhere you can find it later. I mean, I've, I've not always done this immediately. Right. Uh, but yeah, so, so uh, I can understand the hesitation for doing that to some degree. Yeah, well, with with downloaded software, presumably you'll be able to download it again and and maybe get a newer version that you didn't realize was out. So that's easy. I I store all my serial numbers and and all that stuff in Yojimbo, which is, you know, Mm -hmm. I I live by that. But but yeah, as far as physical media and there's less and less of that in my life these days, but but certainly some. And and yeah, before I headed down this path, I I made a list of all the apps that uh, that I wanted to use. This is what I used to do for customers, especially on the Windows side. When I had to do this, I would sit down with them knowing that we had to do a nuke and pave on their on their machine and go through everything. What do you run? You know, here's all the apps on your system. Which ones do you use regularly? And just go through and, you know, kind of did that inventory myself and said, yep, OK, here's the things I need. I wrote them all down on a list and then, you know, thought about, OK, what settings do I need to, to, to figure out? I need to reinstall my printer or at least confirm that my printer's working. Sometimes OS 10 does that magically, you know, uh, need to make sure this piece of hardware works. That piece of hardware works. Need to get my Logitech mouse and, and all that installed. And I just made a list, one one list of just software, one list of drivers for hardware or hardware I needed to test. And then as I went through it, I'm just crossing off the list. But like I said, I used to do this for a living, so it. It, in that regard, it was second nature. I had just never done it for myself. <laughs> so, And, you know, our PAL system profiler can certainly help you with that yep. because it yep. does have a software category. Yep. And you probably want to, and I'm, I'm trying to run it right now, but it's doing the spinning beach ball. Collecting It'll do that. info. It'll do that but for I a while. But I believe yeah. you can save the state um, or at least print out a list of applications, extensions, right. fonts, stuff like that. Every now and then you may want to go to the system profiler and just print that out or save it um, just to have a little reminder. And then as Dave said, I think a lot of times you may clean out stuff that, you know, is ages old that you don't don't need. And we hinted that in a past show where we said, you know, you may want to search your hard drive for stuff that's, you know, like older than five years. Do you really need it? Yep. Maybe, maybe not. Yep. So, um, all right, we're going to pilot. Pete is being a slave driver here. We're at the 50, 51 minute mark. I was going to, you know, start the band up and, and head us out. And he says, but no, no, John's buying a camera. The other John, not you, uh, is buying a camera this week. And he wants to know what our advice is. So here we go. Hi, guys. My name is John. I'm from Menominee Falls, Wisconsin. 
first time caller, short time listener since I just switched to Mac in January. Uh, though I helped my uh, 70-year-old mother uh, switch from a Dell to a, a MacBook Pro last September. Uh, my question is, I've got a, a, I'm looking for a camera for my uh, my Mac. I have a Mac Pro, the new ones that came out in January, and with a 23-inch cinema display. Does not have an iSight camera. Uh, my mother does have a camera. I'm buying my daughter a, a MacBook Pro for college uh, next uh, month which I'm sure will come with a camera, and I want to be able to do uh, iChat, video iChat and things like that. Um, all of the uh, cameras that I've seen online, like the Logitech and things like that, uh, sound like they either don't work with Mac or they're pretty quirky with Mac. So question is, should I spend a couple hundred bucks and get the iSight uh, from Apple? Um, it would be nice to have uh, the ability to make uh, little video clips with it as well. You know, for instance, a video preview that I might load to Amazon, something that doesn't require the high definition um, uh, capabilities of my uh, Canon HG10 uh, and all the post processing that would go along with that. So uh, let me know what you think. I would love to hear from you. Uh, you can cut me off here. Okay. Oh. Uh, no. All right, so my my advice, I've got two pieces of advice to start with, and then oh. I think we're going to bounce this back and forth here, John. So uh, if you can find an eyesight camera, which you will not find from Apple, they do not sell them anymore, but you can find them on eBay sometimes, that would be the, the best bet. You're going to get FireWire video and audio, which you need a mic, right, because you've got uh, a Mac Pro, so the, the, there's no built-in mic to the display or the keyboard or anything, so... Uh, you need the, the, the eyesight would be best firewire, 30 frames a second, 640 by 480, great quality camera, great quality microphone, totally built for what you're going to do and works out of the box with iChat AV. However, you have a stopgap measure, John, and that stopgap is your Canon HG 10. I'm pretty sure that's a DV capable camera. If it is, you can plug the firewire cable into your Mac and again, works out of the box with iChat AV. The microphone and the camera will sync up with your Mac and you can do it. Uh, maybe a little quirky and awkward to get it you know, set. You might have to set up a tripod to get it you know, close enough to your computer so that you're feeling comfortable doing the video chat. But that's certainly one option. And in your case, it's probably free. Uh, but, but the eyesight is great, but it's unavailable or at least discontinued. So, uh, so we'll, we'll explore a couple other things here, John. Why don't you, uh, why don't you take the ball for a little while? Well, first I want to shake my fist because, uh, well, first off I have an eyesight and no, I do not want to sell it. <laughs> right. Because it is just such an excellent firewire cam. I mean, they did beautiful work with the audio, with the design, with the lenses, the focus and all that stuff here. So I'm just wondering, I mean, if anybody, you know, including our secret source at Apple, you know who you are. Why did they discontinue that? That was such a beautiful product. And the problem I have is that a lot of the, the cameras built into the machines are typically, and I've been doing some camera work as of late, um, so I'm learning about it, but you know that was one that had a variable focal length, and, and most of the ones I've seen like in the Apple latest, in the Apple machines, I don't even know if they're, they deserve to be called, oh, deserve to be called eyesight cameras because they don't do any focus or anything. They're kind of these itty bitty, you know, tiny lens uh, stuff. So anyways, the, the only one that I came across, Dave, that I, I guess I'll mention here is kind of a, a, a low end thing, but, it, but it's one that 
you know, it serves a purpose is uh, our buddies at ecam.com. Uh, they have a thing, I think it's image webcam and it's, it's a very basic USB webcam. And I, I tend towards the USB just because of ubiquity among Windows and, uh, and Mac and stuff. But this is one that I found in general because it's a 640 by 480. So you get what you're paying for. Um, 640 by 480, but it typically does not require a driver. It, it usually works with most operating systems without a driver for basic video work. So, um, so that's one that I've seen, but, but, but again, I'm really upset about the whole eyesight, you know, external thing because that, that really, it was one of the best cameras ever. I, uh, please someone at Apple make, make this again. It's a good product. <laughs> so, okay. So the problem with USB is out of the box it does not even the uh, the one from Ecamm Networks uh, out of the box does not work with iChat. You need additional software. Now it just so happens that the people at Ecamm Networks make iUSB Cam, and they uh, they um, you know they'll 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 give you that that software with the camera, so you get that with it. But the I believe the camera doesn't have a microphone so you, you still have to solve that problem um there are other usb cameras and again i think the only software i know of that will allow any usb camera to work with iChat is iusb cam now if you're going to use it with skype uh, you don't need that you can use the freeware version uh or the freeware software it's called maccam m-a-c-a-m and it's at sourceforge we'll put a link into that I have heard good things about the Unibrain camera, which is a Firewire uh, camera, and that will work with EyeSight out of the box. Um, the Xbox camera is a USB, the Xbox Live camera, Live yeah. Vision. Really? Yep, that works USB, and I've heard good reviews of it. I have not used one, but uh, I, I know some people that have, and, and they like it. And then Logitech's Quick Cam line kind of runs the gamut. You can get cheap ones, you can get expensive ones. Um, but again, you, you really want to look for one with a mic, uh, John, because otherwise you're going to, you, you know, you're going to need to solve yeah. that problem too. So, and I've done some work with, uh, as of late with Logitech and, and their, their, their product cycle is a bit sporadic. Okay. So they'll come out with something kind of cool and they'll have Mac software. Maybe they won't, and then they'll move to something else. So, um, if you can latch on to a, a Logitech product that, uh, you know, meets your needs, then a thing over for, but, but, but that's one thing I've noticed. Again, they offer some of the more, you know, inexpensive cameras, but at the risk of the product, uh, you know, not being <laughs> right a product anymore after a few months. So, uh, they're, they, they move kind of quick, but, uh, oh, I still weep at the, the eyesight. And I, I think uh, to, to, before we leave here, Dave, can, yeah. can I, can I talk about our little, uh, you know, closeout discussion here? Yeah, go. So my buddy Austin at work um, was having an issue. He had a, uh, as we talked about in the past, NTFS. You yep. cannot write to those on the Mac uh, for Co various reasons, correct. which I think are good. You cannot, and I guess it involves licensing and stuff like that, but typically an NTFS volume. So he had a large external drive, and he's like, John, how do I deal with this on the Mac? I mean, you know, and I even looked into this. I'm, a, You know, I thought, well, you don't use NTFS. Use FAT32, which is what it's called. Well, the solution was, was uh, you know, focused on it eventually. So I went to a Windows machine, and it was a drive that was a uh, you know a couple hundred megs and uh, or gigs, and uh, and it wouldn't let me format it. It, it just stopped at a certain. 
And I'm like, what's going on? I eventually found a website. We'll link, of course. But um, apparently, NTF, or I'm sorry, FAT32 under Windows XP, you can only format up to, I believe, 32 gigabytes, Dave? That's right. Which is just a weird, bizarre limit that Windows XP puts in there. I, I couldn't right. believe it. When I took the drive and put it into 32 gig partitions, it formatted them as FAT32. As it turns out, and I was kind of nervous because I said, well, this is what you should do, but I'm kind of nervous about the... You know, the limitation Windows puts it. Do they put in a 32 gig re- uh, limit for a reason? And as far as I can tell, the answer is no. No reason. Because now, the only thing I, sh- I wag my finger at Apple, I try to do this once an episode, but um, in this utility, they call it MS-DOS as the target format, not FAT32. Come on, guys. MS-DOS That's right. is like so... 20 years ago? Yeah, I mean, it's not on. MS-DOS. It is FAT32. Say FAT32 or yeah. FAT16 or FAT... Well, yeah. I don't think it was FAT8, but it was FAT, FAT16, FAT32. Right. Call it FAT32 so people can latch on to that. But Apple's utility apparently formats under MS-DOS, a.k.a. FAT32, just fine. Yep. And it showed up in Windows and everything was great. So I was pleased that uh, we were able to solve that problem. But it taught me a little, you know, something about a little weirdness in Windows, which is... It's almost like they want you to use NTFS. Why and would pi- that be? Mm. Pilot Pete points out that if you're on a Windows machine and don't have a Mac machine to format with, uh, there is a Windows utility called Swiss Knife that will format, I think we saw it was up to 2,048 gigabyte partitions uh, of FAT32 or NTFS uh, if you're if, if you need to do that. So we'll, so we'll link to that too. Tera- nearly two terabytes. That's right. Which we that's won't right. hit for a year or two. <laughs> iPhone, Seriously, it's scary, man. iPhone Alley is Michael Johnston's site. Michael Johnston, of course, is the person who has converted this podcast into AAC for you. And he's got a great podcast over there. Go ahead and check it out on the subject of other podcasts. Go check out the Box Aviator podcast done by your pilot, Pete. And that is at boxav8r.com. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes, too. Uh, right? I got that right? Boxaviator.net. .net. I'm so sorry. Sorry about that. No worries. Uh, Cashfly hosting provides all the bandwidth for you to download this show from. The podcast marketplace includes, of course, the A5 and A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine. I didn't mention pricing before. The A5 is $349. The A2 is $199, both U.S. dollars. BB Edit from Barebones Software, also in the podcast marketplace, with Page Sender from Smile on My Mac, Conference Recorder from Ecamm Networks, one free download from Audible at audiblepodcast.com slash MacGeekGab. And, of course, harman-etravel.com for all your travel needs. The Backbeat Media Podcast Network is where you go to sponsor the show. And we love the iTunes comments. Thank you so Ooh, much. Two, I think we're at zero, zero. We were at 201 when we started the show tonight. Yeah. I don't know where we are right now. Nice. And I'm not going to check because the audio has been in sync here all day. And we're going to keep it that way. Are uh, we trouncing Adam on that? or? Uh... Oh, my God. What do you have against that poor guy? I, I like Adam. <laughs> it's friendly. Com- I like him, too. Okay, it's good. just competition, man. Are we trouncing him? Uh, yeah, I think we are, yeah. Good. We'll, let it, we'll let it get out of here. <laughs> We're here next week, folks. Uh, then the week after that, I'm on vacation. So, uh, But we'll see you next mm. Monday for sure. You know, bandwidth and all that permitted. So you want to be able to download next week's show, but that means between now and then, don't. You can't get caught. 
Maynard.